always appreciate the opportunity to be able to share with you. Um, and I, I know probably Pastor Molly asked me today to fill in on this day because uh, of two things. One is it's Transfiguration Sunday, and that's the hardest sermon in the world to try to preach. Um, there are millions of transfiguration sermons being preached today, and there are probably about a different, about a million different interpretations. And out of those, about 999,999 are probably wrong. So I'll have the right interpretation today for you. <laughs> Second reason that I think Molly probably asked me to preach today is. Through my many years of experience, I learned you never want to preach on a Sunday when there's a meal waiting upstairs. So if you'll just bear with me for a few minutes, I promise we'll get you to that meal on time. Transfigured. Metamorphose. So if anybody ever asks you and you want to sound intelligent about it, you're talking about transfiguration, you can say it in its original Greek form. Metamorphose. Does that sound a little familiar to you, that word? What does it sound a little bit like? Metamorphosis. It's a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. What are some examples of metamorphosis? What's the first one as a child and through our biology and science classes we learn about that butterflies exactly and how beautiful they become another one is a tadpole becoming a frog and there are a lot of things books and stories children's stories and movies that are about change um, beauty and the beast there's a great change that takes place in that story pinocchio has a metamorphosis there's toy Story of all those toys coming awake at night and telling their stories. There's movies like Teen Wolf, and there's Spider-Man, and there's Catwoman, and of course Matrix, and there's Walking Dead. <laughs> that everybody likes to talk about, but nobody wants to admit that they were hung up on it and watched it for <laughs> so many seasons. And here we have a story that talks about a transfiguration. Jesus and his disciples, as we often find, would go to places of prayer and get away from the crowd. And Jesus, with, with this group, had gone up to a high mountain and they were by themselves. And I have to tell you, can you imagine being there and then all of a sudden this thing happens where Jesus goes through this metamorphosis right in front of them and it tells us that it, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there was Moses and there was Elijah. This unbelievable experience to even try to describe. But it was a heavenly experience. It was a time when there was a recognition of the spiritual side of And right in the middle of that, Simon Peter says, Lord, it's good that we can be here. Why don't we build some tents so that you and 
Eliza and Moses can all stay and we'll just hang out and chill here for a while. We'll just have a good old camping experience up here on the mountaintop. I like being here. I like being, he didn't say this, but away from the crowd. I like getting away from all the responsibilities. Being a follower of yours is kind of tough. It'd be nice to be up here on the mountaintop and just kind of hang out and not have to do anything. A little vacay for us, Jesus, that's kind of a nice, a weekend getaway, a spiritual retreat. If we could just hang out here for a while. I don't know if that is exactly what Peter was saying, but I think in the context of this, now it was possible it was in the, the Feast of Booths, a season on their calendar to celebrate and what they did with the season of booths would they built tents in their vineyards or out in their fields as a memorial of what their ancestors did in the past so I kind of think we're at a point where Simon Peter is thinking nostalgically he was in a safe place. It was a lot safer to be up there on the mountaintop with all the thoughts about these religious leaders of the past and to be with Jesus and just to be able to hang out and not have to be responsible for anything for a while. The idea of change was really a positive thing here but at the same time Peter was missing what it was all about because you see when they started back down the mountain there was a change that was going to come things were going to be different for them things were going to get tougher their responsibilities were going to grow Peter knew that and for that reason he thought let's hang out up here with Jesus in all bask in all of this glory because down there with the world it's going to get dirty I was just thinking earlier when we were singing uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love I'm old enough to remember when that was a contemporary Christian song <laughs> and there's still some people today that think let's sing some of those contemporary Christian songs like They'll know we are Christians by our love. And I'm thinking, that song's mm, 50 years old or more. That's not contemporary. I'm also old enough to remember a song by Al Green called Change is Gonna Come. Carl remembers that. We, we talk about Woodstock thoughts every once in a while, the two of us. Al Green's got a song that says, I was born by the river in a little tent. And like that river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. That was really what the transfiguration was about. It was not just a change that they saw take place before their eyes with Jesus. It was about the change that was going to take place 
because they have chosen to follow Jesus. Well, there's kind of a Baptist mantra that I grew up hearing a lot, and it's one that it never seems to disappear. It was being said when I was young, it's still being said today, and really it's not just something Baptists have a hold on, but it's that little seven-word phrase, we never did it that way before. Some people think that's one of the commandments. But as I look back over my many years of ministry, and I've had people ask me, What's the toughest thing you've ever had to deal with in ministry? And I think about all the things that have happened in this world in the lifetime that I've lived. But I think a lot of times what it really comes down to, whether it's in the church or the association or the denomination or in Christianity across the world, I think the biggest issue that I felt myself dealing with is resistance to change. I mean, we dealt with some big issues when I was a pastor, and I pastored five different churches. One time, we really got into a big fight over what color we were going to paint our bathroom. <laughs> they had been pink for so long, and to change them to another color, heresy. I remember a big battle over whether or not to sell our church van, even though the wheels were falling off. There was one battle in a small country church that I first started out with because there were two communion tables, one in the front of the sanctuary, one that someone had built for the church in the entry hall of the church. And there was this constant battle over which one had priority to be at the front of the sanctuary to the point that it was discussed in a business meeting. I remember talking about which kind of mulch to put in the new playground, whether we were going to put the wood kind or whether we were going to put gravel or whether we were going to put sand or whether we were going to put that newfangled rubber stuff they make now. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. Southern Baptists, by the way, used to have what we called the Southern Baptist Architectural Department. And that's where most Southern Baptist churches would go to get the plans to design their sanctuary. That's why when you travel across the country, there are so many Baptist churches that look exactly alike. And you could probably still go into a lot of those First Baptist Church of County Seat and they're going to be Baptist green in the sanctuary. The walls are going to be. It's a green you will not find anywhere else. It's a green you would not have in your home. It's a green that you would not paint your car. But for some reason, it's somehow a Baptist got a market on it. On it and so many. And now the battles are over whether or not to change that green to a different color. We've had bigger battles in churches where I've pastored too. 
whether or not to build a new sanctuary, whether or not, believe it or not, years ago, a battle over whether people who were not a member of our church could have communion. Some of you remember that, and some of you sitting there thinking, they actually fought over that. Whether or not to ordain a woman deacon. And then I also remember being part of a church that got really upset, at least a couple of people, because we were considering ordering, uh, ordaining someone as a deacon who was from the gay community. Happily, the church stood up against that one or two people who threatened to leave the church if it happened. And I wish them well <laughs> as they went. Churches struggle with change. But as Peter was saying to the people, uh, to Jesus on the hilltop, Jesus was responding to him by saying, first of all, he referred to himself as the Son of Man, which means there's this worldly side that we have to deal with of why I came. I came to be a part of this world. To be with human beings, not with heavenly creatures. And John the Baptist told you why I was coming. And he told you, when I came, it's about repentance. And repentance is about change. Jesus, by basically calling upon the name of John the Baptist and referring to himself as the Son of God was reminding Peter that there was a time when Jesus stood up in front of the temple and he opened up the scroll to the prophet Isaiah and read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, appoint, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I wonder why it is that we're so resistant to change. Why is it hard? Because I know there are so many changes in my life that have been wonderful and good. Yeah, sometimes things come along that are painful. There's some changes we have to accept. There are changes that are a part of life. There are changes that are inevitable. But for the most part, why is it that we resist this idea of change? Why, like Peter, do we say, I just want to hang out here and chill for a while? Why as churches do we just say, can't we just keep things the same for a while longer instead of having to do something We feel better being in our comfort zone. But if we stay in our comfort zones, we don't have any new experiences. We don't climb to new heights. We don't grow. We don't mature. We don't have this metamorphosis of changing to something that is beautiful and radiant. Maybe we're resistant to change because we fear the unknown. That might have been part of Peter's reaction. 
He knew they were called to follow Jesus, but he wasn't quite sure what Jesus was leading them into. It had been a lot nicer to just hang around with some of the traditions, things like the tabernacles out in the fields and in the great vineyards, and rethinking and remembering Elijah and Moses and talking about the prophets, but I don't know, Jesus. I don't know where this is taking us. And I think also one reason we sometimes resist change, we don't like to be inconvenienced. It'd be nice if we just be in a routine, Jesus, and we could just do the same thing all the time. Because change sometimes means we have to sacrifice. We may have to give up something. We may have to go in a different direction than we've been going. And sometimes change could mean (laughs) a lot of work. Increased responsibility. Peter had no idea what was ahead of him when we went back down the mountain and back into the crowds. And I don't think we have any idea of what may be in front of us in this world. Do you know who wrote the book Walden? Anybody remember? Thoreau. Henry Davis Thoreau. That's about all he's known for in writing. He had some other things that he wrote. But what he's really most effective in doing, he also wrote a book that dealt with civil disobedience. Now I bet you didn't think you were going to come and hear a preacher today talk to you about civil disobedience in the way that I'm about to talk to you. Especially an old guy. But do you know Henry Davis Thoreau? He influenced the lives of many people by his dealing with that subject. And by the way, civil disobedience, it's the refusal to comply with certain laws or taxes or fines. But you do it peacefully as a form of political protest. Now, who are some people you can think of that peacefully protested? Who are some of the famous ones, particularly this month, that we've thought about? Martin Luther King? Who? I'm sorry, I can't hear. Gandhi, yes. Lewis? The bridge, the walk across the bridge. Those who sat saw a story just yesterday on uh, uh, um, the show where they, the auction show. What was it we were watching, Jill? The one that's on the PBS channel? Antique Road Show. And some guy had four seats that he had bought out of a uh, diner where the sit-in had taken place in Memphis. Thoreau influenced people like Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, Some of those who were disobedient were the suffragette movement, 
Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, Occupy Wall Street, and then as I mentioned, Martin Luther King. But there's something else about Henry David Thoreau that's a very little known fact. He had something to do with this. This is a number two pencil. Now some of you younger ones may not know the importance of the number two pencil, but there was a time when we were going to be taking tests, ACT, SAT, where you mark those little dots, you go to vote, this was what you had to use was a number two pencil. You were told to come to those tests with two at least number two pencils in case the lead broke on one of them, you'd have a backup. Now Thoreau had something to do with the development of the number two pencil along with his father. It used to be people just wrote with lead, held it in their hand and tried to write and it would break. And there were three grades of lead. There was a really soft, was the number one. There was a really hard lead that barely would show, called a number three. Then there was number two. And Thoreau with his father, when they were able to develop using clay to wrap around that lead, then they classified them in one, two, and three. And then eventually it was determined how to put it into wood. Now the reason I'm telling you that is not just to give you a science lesson or a history lesson, but I want to ask you today, when it comes to change, which end of the pencil are you going to be? You're going to be an eraser that just doesn't want to go anywhere? How are you going to make your mark in this world that is to come? When we go back down off of this mountain top that we're in today, where we're in the presence and glory of God, and we go out there into that world, and we think of some of those things that Molly sang about just a few moments ago, what are we going to do to make our mark? We really need to be thinking about because it's coming back hard upon the Christian community that change is going to come and we've got to decide how we're going to influence it. Do you realize that the book that was just read as a book study with this church, The Color of Compromise, is forbidden in schools now? Some of the books we grew up reading, To Kill a Mockingbird, one of the greatest books ever written, one of the best movies ever made, is forbidden to be on the shelves for our children to, to see and to read. One of the things our church is trying to do is reach out down the street to the high school, to the LGBTQ community and do you realize there's some states where that is not allowed to happen now 
can't even talk about it. Read a story yesterday of a woman who has a pregnancy that's not going to take place because there's not a fetus there. But she couldn't have a DNC in Alabama because of the new law, because her doctor is afraid to treat her. And so she's spending time in anguishing pain until she's forced to miscarry because she can't afford to go to another state. Now, these may be things that are happening in Florida or Alabama or Iowa, but folks, we need to be thinking about what we're going to be doing about making our mark, because I can tell you with some of the things that are happening now, these things are coming soon to a state near us. And we can choose if, if, whether we're just going to remain in the comfort of our tabernacles or whether we're going to go back down to the world and make change. part of the pencil.